if I pray. This is week three, and so we've been reading from a set of scriptures, uh, different ones each week. But turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and I'm going to read. We're going to pick up where we did last week, but you might say, well, we were in 1 John 5. We were, but I'm going to read this real quick, and then we'll probably turn there. Um, we'll begin reading in verse 3. And we're talking about prayer, but prayer has to do uh, a lot with our beliefs, um, how we see God and all different kinds of things. Because prayer doesn't just always work, but it always can work. You with me? Prayer can always work, but it doesn't always work. And remember this, it's not God. It really comes to us. And many times, you know, you get people waving their hand at God. I can't believe you, God. Why didn't you do this? And really, that's a misunderstanding. Maybe we should just go out and come back in or something, but that's a misunderstanding. Why didn't you do this, God? Well, first of all, if you waving your hand angry at him, would be the trick to get him to move. Like he's like, all right, they're waving their hand at me. I'll do it. That's not it. God, the Bible said, withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly before him. So there's many people who walk uprightly before him and don't get certain things when they do pray. And they, instead of looking at themselves they look to God. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we should look to God and say, what is there a way I'm missing it and I'm not connecting? You with me? And that would be the best way because nowhere in the New Testament do you find people waving their hand at God, angry, that he caused this bad and he's doing this bad and he's withholding good and he's not withholding good. You with me? And so right here in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, we'll begin reading in the third verse. It says, for though we walk in the flesh or out in this life naturally, he said, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, a lot of the battles you have in your life are not just physical battles. They're actually spiritual battles. But where does this spiritual battle many times play out in life? It's a good question. I heard one man say, the greatest battles are not fought, you know, in a military venue somewhere like, you know, like right now, Syria is just there every day. We might, we might be going about our business all day long, but every day people are being shot and killed there because there is just a war going on. Some people have said it could be the beginning of World War III. I don't know, but there is fighting going on. But the greatest battles do not occur in places where guns are shooting. Now, that's not to diminish, you know, the severity of a war with guns and bombs and everything else. But there are greater battles that go on all the time, and they don't always happen in places like that, though they do happen there, but they happen in people's lives all the time. All the time, all over the world, there are battles going on internally inside of people. And so he said, we don't walk or war according to the flesh. Even though we live in this natural life, it's not just a physical fight. 
Notice this. He said, for the weapons. So there are weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which is, comes from the word really where we get, you know, meat or flesh. They're not natural. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Some people have read this and stopped right there and have been trying to pull down strongholds all over the place. You know, there are people that think there's devils up there that you got to pull down over a city and you've got to do this. But if we would just be honest and read scriptures in their context, they would help us and protect us from wasted time and foolishness. Are there demons out there? There are. But he said the weapons of our warfare are mighty or powerful for pulling down strongholds. When we talk about this word stronghold, it literally is like a castle that's built stone upon stone. And so when he said they're mighty in God for pulling them down, you understand this. If you were going to pull down a stronghold like a castle, you might pull it down piece by piece. Even with our technology today, if we were going to destroy a castle and we brought a wrecking ball in, you would break it down chunk by chunk, wouldn't you? You wouldn't just, unless you just blew the thing up, but there still would be rubble and things like that. But he's saying the weapons are of our warfare are mighty for pulling down strongholds. But what are these strongholds he's talking about? Where are these strongholds? Notice this. He said for pull, they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down, pulling down, casting down, Notice this word, arguments, 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 and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and notice this, and bringing every thought into captivity. One translation says, casting down imaginations. Here it goes on after that arguments or imaginations and says taking every thought captive into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, he's saying this battle you're going to fight is right between your ears. Everybody has had a stupid thought before Jesus had them. And Jesus had him, and the Bible said he never sinned. But there were times when the enemy came to him and said, bow down and worship me. Think about it. God in the flesh, here in the earth, and one of the temptations was, bow down and worship me. Think about it. God in the flesh, Jesus was tempted. The thought came to him. Bow down and worship the devil. Some people say, well, I, that's... Yeah, it's in the Bible, Luke 4, and other places. So he was tempted to do something that just seemed weird. Does that mean it was him? No. There was just an outside force. So he, what did he do with that thought? He cried and said, 
can't believe this. I had a bad thought. No, he did exactly what the Bible said, and he took it captive. He cast it down to the obedience of Christ. What did he do? He said, you shall worship and serve the Lord God only, and him only shall you serve. So he didn't just let that stay in his head. So he had battles too. You say, but we're talking about prayer. Exactly. Because you're going to find if you're going to pray, you're going to have some battles. You're going to pray, and the thought may come, well, God didn't hear you. Nothing's happening. Maybe that's something to move you away from being confident when you pray. Maybe you don't have weak faith. Maybe the faith you have is trying to be robbed from you. Maybe you've got the faith that it would take to get an answer to prayer, but those thoughts come, and if you entertain them, maybe it could rob you. And, and maybe God doesn't want you robbed, so maybe we should listen to these things. Now, I do believe there's devils out there and stuff like that, but our battle is, is, is an internal one many times. You know, the thoughts come against people. And we shouldn't just lay down to them, nor should we get over-infatuated with them and get our focus on them. Because there are some people that become so devil-conscious that everything's a devil. And there are devils. But, that, but the issue is this. If the enemy, if you're going to go, there is an enemy, he'll want you to overly focus on him. And one of the big things for a Christian is to stay in the middle of the road. You understand? And so the Bible tells us, it says different things like this. We're to shun certain things. You know, shun, like just ignore it, turn away from it. The Bible tells us we're to not give our attention to certain things. The Bible said we're to turn away from certain things. The Bible said we're not to consider certain things. So, so thoughts will come to us because they would like to captivate your attention. And those thoughts that are not from God are going to be against the knowledge of God. You with me? We shouldn't freak out when they come. We should just become really good ignorers or good at turning our attention away from them. And some people are really good in the natural at ignoring people. You with me? You know, they'll hear what they say and they go, okay, and then they just turn their attention back onto something else. You should use that with God. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John, the fifth chapter. This is the verse we read last week. And so knowledge is a weapon that helps us to, con to uh, drive off wrong thinking, so to speak. But 1 John 5, and we're going to begin reading in the 14th and the 15th verse, verses that we read last week. Notice this. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him or in Jesus. We said this last week that every believer has a confidence in Jesus. Jesus provided a way for humanity to come back into good standing with God and to stand boldly before God and to be able to pray and get answers. We have 
you have, as a believer, a confidence. Whether you know it or not, he made you clean. If you've received him, he puts you back into good standing with God by just sheer trust in him. He's washed you and cleansed you and put you there. You didn't put yourself there. That's why it says it's a confidence that we have in him. But he didn't stop there. He said this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything. Now, you can't stop there, but anything, what anything? Anything according to his will. So we have a confidence in Jesus that if we will ask anything according to his will. So if you ask, so we have a confidence that if we'll ask anything according to his will, notice this, he hears us. Now, before we keep reading, let me make this statement. This has to be a different kind of hearing. Because let me ask you this. So is it God's will for for us to cuss and swear? Most people would say no, no, no. So then if that's not his will, then he obviously wouldn't hear you if you cussed, right? No. He hears everything. So this has to be a different kind of hearing. This is a hearing with a positive answer. Because he hears everything, right? Because how could you give an account for something, you know, if he doesn't hear anything that's outside of his will? He hears everything, but this hearing has to do with hearing and getting an answer and a response in line with what you pray. Notice this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Notice verse 15. And, and, so he's connecting with what he just got done saying with what he's about to say. We all know this, right? Because and is a conjunction. And I learned not in school, but on television, that conjunction, junction, what's your function? It's hooking up phrases and clauses and making them function. And so that's what he's trying to do, right? And, so now he's connecting what he just got done saying with what he's, I don't look like that guy on the commercial, or on the cartoon though. And if we, so he's connecting, if we know he hears. How do we know he hears? Well, he hears everything, but this kind of hearing in line with this is asking according to his will. Then we know he hears us. And whatever we ask, we know. There's a a bit of knowing here. When you know something, when you really know something, and somebody challenges you, you think, wait a minute. 
No. And you may even let people talk and say what they're going to say, but you leave and you're like, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that because I know something else. Right? You know, like some of this stuff that they're trying to do with math and stuff, you know, like, well, four plus four could be 12. You know, it's okay. People who know math, may not answer back, but they already know that's eight. Right? You just know it. You don't care if people say, well, it's nine. It's okay. Yeah, I'm waiting for you to make change for me. That'll sink in in a little bit. No, I need more than that. No, we, there are things that are just true and fixed, and we know. And he said, and if we know, verse 15, that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. In other words, if we will know and come before him in line with his will, but not just in line with it, but knowing his will, then we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know and we can know that we have the petitions we've asked of him. Do you notice how knowing, knowing, knowing? But the key to that knowing part, knowing that he hears when you pray, how are you going to know that he heard you when you prayed? You got goosebumps? Goosebumps are okay. Oh, I just sense God. Well, that's okay too. But we need to come to a different place where we know and we have an inward confidence that came from his will. And the sad thing is, is we hear things like, well, you never know what the Lord's going to do. You, you, just, you just never know. I mean, I wouldn't ask that because you never know what the Lord will do. He may just do that. No, no. That is people or people not understanding God's will. Because if we really started to understand what God's will is and what his will is about, we would know he wouldn't do that. He would never do that. And But some people don't understand how or that we can even know his will. You with me? And so sometimes people say, well, don't speak that over my life. I don't want to be cursed because you said that over me. You just don't know God's will. The Bible didn't say you get what others say. You get what you say. And there's a lot of people walking around. Don't say that over me because you know I don't want. They just don't understand God's will. How are you going to know God's will? Is it possible for you to know God's will? If it's not possible to know his will for a surety, then this kind of praying will not work for me and will not work for you. Because if you don't know his will, then you don't know if he hears you positively. And if you don't know he hears you, then you don't know that you have that petition, that thing you asked. 
So if he put this in here so you might know his, uh, that he hears you and that you get it when you pray and it's according to his will, then the key would be, can we for a surety know his will? Now, I'm not just talking about, well, maybe, maybe not. I mean where you just absolutely are convinced of his will in an area. How many of you know this? There are some areas where as believers we've done really well to be convinced of his will. And we're absolutely persuaded. And somebody could beat you over the head with a bat and you'd never let down. This area of salvation... You know, most people are convinced about that are believers that if you would call on the name of the Lord, you'd be saved. Right? You just know it. You're convinced of it. You just, there would be, I mean, you would not think there's something wrong with God. You'd know that if this person didn't get saved, it's because they didn't believe it because you know that anybody who would call on him would be saved. How did you ever come to that conclusion that is correct? How did you come to know his will in that area? And the way you came to know his will in that area is the way that you're going to know his will in other areas. And then by that process, when you come to know his will... When you come to know his will and you're convinced in your own heart, you believe it, you can approach God and you'll know, you'll come with an assurity that he hears me. And if I ask, I know and I know it's granted. Turn with me to 2 Peter. Just a little bit uh, back, not toward the back, a little before. 2 Peter and we'll begin reading in verse 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Peter was writing to these people, and he wanted them to walk in God's best. And he wanted them to have God's best in every area of life. And he is about to make some statements that actually would be connected to what John said. Notice this in verse 3. Let's go to verse 2. I already told you two, so it's not that far, you know, to go backwards one verse, right? Notice this, verse 2. Grace, what is grace? Somebody said, well, it's unearned favor. That is one definition, but that is not all grace. Grace is everything he provided. It's his strength. It's his ability it's all that he has given to you. So he said grace, which means strength, whatever it is he's provided. Good standing, peace, whatever you need. And peace. Now this isn't natural peace. This is a peace that's from God. This isn't a peace that, you know, when you sit, you know, and relax... And go, oh, I have peace. This is a different kind. This is a peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give. 
So this is a different kind of peace. It's a heavenly peace. It's a peace that's familiar only with God. And notice this. He said, grace and peace be added to you. No. Multiplied. And isn't there a difference between adding and multiplying? If you go back and read the book of Acts, the Bible said the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Then later on it talked about the church multiplying and it starts giving numbers that are big. But we would think different about adding and multiplying. And he said grace and peace can be multiplied to you, but notice this next phrase, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through the knowledge of Him, grace, ability, everything He's provided, including His peace, can be multiplied to you through this knowledge. Notice, as His divine power or ability has given to us all things. How many things have been given to us? All things. Whatever you're going to need in life, all of these things have been given to us. Notice this. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, and godliness, or living a godly life. Notice, through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. Notice verse 4. By which, in other words, these things have been given to us. They've been provided. How were they provided? When Jesus died and rose again, He actually paid already for everything that you will ever need. They are already to your account. But you have to know it. Hey, if, if you don't know you have something to your account, you wouldn't go and withdraw it. And you wouldn't be confident. Would you just go to the bank and go, I need $10,000? If you didn't even think you had it in your account? You wouldn't have confidence to do that, would you? If you did, you'd have some kind of guts, but it would be founded on nothing. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know about you, but I've had friends say, hey, we were looking on this website and we searched your family and we searched our family, you know, people we grew up with. Because you can find on certain sites things that belong to people that have been left to people and people don't even know it. And you can go search and like one person had $1,000. Well, that's not, you know, a ton of money, but, you know, what if it was $100,000? And one friend told another friend, hey, this, this is yours. And, you know, and they can search, and sure enough, some relative left something, and they just it's just sitting there. It belongs to them. It is theirs and rightfully theirs. They haven't partaken of it because they don't have knowledge of it. But once they get knowledge of it, it would create a confidence in them to be able to search and figure out how to get it and if you found out something was yours, but it wasn't in your possession, like a million dollars, wouldn't you be like, oh, we'll deal with that like next month? <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You'd be like, uh, I think we're going to be uh, not going out to eat after church. We're going to go get after this. 
We'll get pizza delivered or something, but we're going to get this. Then if the, you start doing research and come to find out, yeah, you got a million dollars, then you, what do you need to get it? You need knowledge. Where is this million dollars? Who's holding my million dollars? What are the forms I have to fill out? What's the ID I have to bring? Where do I got to go to get this? What do I need to do? The key becomes knowledge, right? You could have that million dollars and somebody say, see, here's the thing. And they show it to you and you go, yeah, that's a legal document. But does that mean you can just go to Wells Fargo and get it? It might not be at Wells Fargo. Well, then I'll try Chase Bank. And you, just, you could stumble around from bank to bank, and it may not even be in these banks. It might be in some federal holding place. How would you know unless you went and researched and got the knowledge that could make you confident enough to go access it? Would it mean it's not yours if you haven't accessed it? No, not at all. There are people who live under a cloud of guilt all day long, and they're Christians. They just haven't accessed, I mean, and they're maybe living right, doing what they know they're supposed to do, but they live under a cloud of guilt because they haven't accessed the knowledge that Christ's blood has cleansed them from that. And so those thoughts just stay in their head, and they live feeling inferior, and they're not. It's already theirs, but they... They maybe prayed, you know, they went to Chase Bank, but it wasn't being held there. Oh, Lord, take this away from me. That's the wrong approach. It's the wrong approach. He's already paid for it. He's the one who put it in your account that you might not have that. So to say, well, just Lord. No, the key is getting knowledge. Then you can approach and appropriate what belongs to you. So notice what he said here. Verse 4, by which have been given to us, which would mean you and me, every single believer, exceeding, exceedingly great. It's interesting when you couple words like that, just not great. These are exceedingly great. Notices, and precious. What, what's precious? Somebody said, oh, I have those precious moments things. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Something that's real dear. Right? Something that's precious is something of great value. So he said there's exceeding great and precious what? Promises. So the Bible is not just that book. The Bible has some super valuable things in it. It's got great and precious promises. Notice that through these, these what? These great and precious promises. Think about it if you had a million or a billion dollars that was given to you, but you could find no knowledge of how to access it, but you knew because you got documents that said it was yours. Tell me, would that not be frustrating? You read through and you go, this is for me, but for some reason, 
you know, and you tried Chase Bank and you tried Wells Fargo and you tried the different ones and you haven't been able to, to get it, but you see that it's yours, what do you need? You need knowledge. What if you didn't have knowledge and you didn't know where to get it? What if you just said, well, don't worry, I don't need knowledge. I can get this on my own. I'll figure it out. But here he said these, these truths are great and precious promises that through these, what? These great and precious promises, instructions, they're the things that tell you what belong to you. Notice he said through these you may be partakers You want your million dollars? You got to get the knowledge so you can partake of what's already yours. Notice his divine power has already given this. You're not going to talk God into saving somebody. He's already done it. And it's the same thing true with other types of prayer. Sometimes people go to pray and think that they're going to talk God into doing this for them. Like if we get enough people knocking on his door, he'll do it. I was watching a program the other day about somebody who'd had a real miracle in their life. And um, you probably wouldn't want to watch shows like this with me. And... Um, he made this statement, well, I just had everybody praying for me, and then he proceeded on. I said, no! Because what does that do for people? It starts disqualifying people immediately. I did. I said, that's not why you got it. So I said, you probably wouldn't want to watch some things with me. You might get loud during football. You hear me when somebody's on preaching. You know, they're preaching. I'll start yelling. Sometimes it's not good. I'll, no, that's not why. It can't be. Because then what does it do? It disqualifies you. Because you're sitting there and you're inferior. You're there by yourself in your own room. And you don't know any Christians. You know five. And he had everybody. He had thousands of people praying for him. But you don't see that in the Bible. You'd notice it didn't say... By this and a thousand people praying for you. If that's the case, God's a respecter of persons. Some of the scriptures that people just readily throw out there like they're so are not actually so. You know? Like, and no offense to somebody who said this, but where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. That's why you don't hear me saying that, because that scripture is taken out of its setting. It has not anything to do with what people are going, Woo, let's praise the Lord, there's two or three of us together, he's now here in our midst. It actually has to do with correction and discipline in the church, and the power of the Lord present to enforce a discipline. Go read it. Because if that verse is true, if we all are on a ship and we're cruising along and the ship sinks and there's an island there, 
and an island there. And these waters are infested with sharks, but everybody somehow makes it to that island but me. And I'm on this island. Well, surely you guys can have a good time until we're rescued because two or three are gathered together and the Lord's in your midst, but it's just me by myself, so therefore the Lord's not with me. I can't have a good service. Man. Hey, will any of you guys swim over here? No, there's sharks. Oh, I was hoping to have church. I was hoping to have the Lord here. Man, it'll be so good to get back with some other people because then the Lord can be present. Uh, hello? Wonder what ever happened to all those other verses, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, lo, I am with you. What about Paul when he was in prison and he said, all men forsook me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I guess Paul didn't know that the Lord couldn't be with him. Well, let's just keep reading. We need to know His promises, and we need to understand it doesn't take a bunch of people. It just takes somebody confident in what He said and knowing His will for yourself. Well, I got saved because a thousand people were praying. Now, those thousand people may have had an influence to get me to the place, but when it comes to your own salvation, you got to call on the Lord yourself. And it's the same thing with other areas, you know. We need to know what his will is. And notice he said, by these great and precious promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature. You can partake of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption or the depravity that is in the world through lust. How did the world get so jacked up? Lust. But remember, lust is not, lust just means a strong desire for something forbidden. How did corruption get in the world? There was a desire for something that was forbidden called fruit. There was a certain tree, and Adam and Eve both ate of it, and corruption came in the world through their wrong desire. And so it's been here, but he said you could escape the corruption through these great and precious promises. Let's close with this verse right here in John. The same person who wrote 1 John wrote this. John's Gospel, the 15th chapter. Knowing His will is key to getting answers to prayer. It's key for you knowing that God will hear, that God will respond. If I can find in His Word truth that covers where, what I'm facing, and I will accept it and believe it, I can be confident, I can be confident that He will hear and grant me what I ask. But you need to know it's His will. Some people read things, and they just don't know it's His will. And what happens is there have been strongholds that have been put into people's lives that they didn't know. Well, he'd do that for others, but maybe not for me. Maybe if I was better, he'd do this for me. Maybe if, maybe if I had more faith, he'd do this for me. 
and we just allow ourselves to be talked out of things. Notice this in John 15. Notice, uh, we'll begin reading in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me, he prunes, I'm sorry, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, I, wasn't, I probably shouldn't have read that because you leave people who don't know things and have heard people say stuff. You know, if you don't bear fruit, the Lord will take you away. He'll just, he'll, just, he'll just move you out of the way. He'll get rid of you. Bam. But actually, he's using here an illustration about a vine like a grape. And he said, if you don't bear fruit, the Lord will take you away. Oh, then I better start bearing fruit. No. And if you are bearing fruit, he'll prune you so you bear more fruit. If people understood, one of the words there where it says takes away, literally in the Greek means lift up. And some margin notes in Bible say lift up. That's a huge difference. Because you understand this, have you ever had something that you were trying to grow and the leaves that are underneath everything, they're kind of yellow and emaciated and what you do if you want them to grow, you lift them up to the light and it will change them and they'll begin to grow. If you're not bearing fruit, the Lord will adjust you. He will try to get you up to the light. And if you're already up to the light and you're starting to produce fruit, he's going to prune you so you can bear more fruit. He's the vine, you are the branches. He doesn't take you away. It actually means to lift you up. He'll get you into a place where you can start bearing fruit. But don't think you're done there. He'll start pruning you once you start bearing fruit. Meaning he'll deal with you so you bear more fruit. Notice this. Verse 3, you are already clean because of my word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now here's the thing. In this context, the fruit he's talking about is actually the fruit of answered prayer is a big portion of it. Notice this verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Remember we read last week? This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask. But notice this. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they, the world, will gather them and throw them in the fire, and they'll be burned. Listen, if you don't continue walking with the Lord, you'll dry up. Dry stuff burns easy. And the world is just on fire with wrong, and you'll get torched. So you want to stay connected and walking with the Lord so his life just is still flowing in you. Notice verse 17, or verse 7, though. 
He said, if you abide in me, if you'll just walk with me and my words abide in you. In other words, you live in me and let my words live in you. If you'll let them live in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. By this, what? This getting answers to prayer, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. For notice this, so you will be my disciples or self-disciplined ones. God wants you to get answers to your prayers. He said a key to it is, is knowing what His will is. The way you're going to know His will is get His word abiding in you. Because if you notice there, verse 7, it said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, notice the next part, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Do you think you might have a part to play in this? Notice that there wasn't a great emphasis on God here. Why? He will never fail you. You ever told your kids, quit helping your brother, quit helping your sister, just do your thing. That's kind of maybe this here. Don't try to help God. You do your part. He'll make sure it happens. Because if you will abide in me, and remember, he's the vine dresser, so God will help you to get this knowledge. He'll help teach you. He'll help direct you. Why? Because he ultimately wants to answer your prayers. He doesn't make this so hard, but he has set things out there. And basically, it's just knowing his will. And where am I going to find his will? You never know what the Lord's going to do. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, yes, you do. You're going to find it right here where these great and precious promises are. And when you see it, you can be confident. He's the one who said you could. Don't let somebody else say, well, you're just actually real arrogant about that. No, he told me this. And if he told me this, don't you think I should be able just to accept what he said? And so if they're great and precious promises then maybe I should search them out before I pray. Because if I found out he for sure wanted me to have something, and I accepted it as so, and I approached him, then I would know he would hear me. And if I know he hears me, I know he'll grant it, and I'll have it. How? By knowing his will. And aren't you glad he didn't hide it from you and me? Now, you understand, it's here. It's hidden in the pages, but for the most part, we could open it up and just read it ourselves. And man, think about us compared to people years ago. We actually can listen to it online. We can listen to it, download the Bible and listen to it, you know, on our phones, in our cars, 
I mean, wherever you listen to it. And you could just listen. And then if you come across a promise, remember it's not just a promise, it's exceeding great. Why is it great? Because that'll help you get that million dollars that's been given to your account. And it's a precious promise. It's great value because these instructions and things that he said will help you to be able to access those things. 